Episode 38 of Gaming NBS, sponsored by darktheater.net, home of the character Folio. Welcome to Gaming NBS. I am one of your hosts, Sean. This is a tabletop podcast uh, where Brett and I talk about, uh, yeah, tabletop gaming, RPG specifically. Again, I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett, the one without the incredibly clumsy intro. Holy shitballs, I guess. You'd think after like 38 Eight. episodes, I'd have something down a little bit I think more. We gotta, I think we got to get it like a year or two under our belts, then we'll be good at this. Just because we do it every week doesn't mean we've got it down. Yeah, that's right. We're it's not like we're pros and we get paid for this. No, no. A lot of love and adoration, but the pay pays not so good. Yes, much paid in big love. Yes. My mom says our podcast is really cool. <laughs> mom, I'll be up to eat in a second. <laughs> Leave me alone. I'm with Brett. <laughs> Do we have any announcements today, Sean? I don't have any announcements. Do you have any announcements, Brett? I have no announcements. Let's do Random Encounter then. Random Encounter. Random Encounter where we address emails, voicemails, and posts from social media like Twitter, Facebook, Google+, and any comments on our blog. First one, Eric Bontz comments from G+. Eric must be a new listener. Thanks, Eric. Or he's just decided to re-listen to our library going back to start at episode 14. Well, we've we've often encouraged people to listen through the entire library once a week just to make sure you're up on all topics. So that's good to do. Yeah. So Eric, outstanding. Thank you so much. He writes, what are your thoughts on GMs who send text messages instead of passing notes? So that has to do with the technology at the table. Brett. Um, hmm. So my gut tells me, I honestly, I don't like it. The reason I don't like it is because one of my problems, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my problems is fucking around on your phone when you should be paying attention to the game. So what happens then is if I send a text message, then somebody else texts you something and then they text something else. And then I can't tell who's actually, I don't know what's going on. Right, and then my control, my my control freak nature just takes over. No, but honestly, I think it's a distraction from where I'm sitting uh, behind the screen. Uh, I would rather have you pass a note or say, "Hey, can I talk to you outside for a second? or something on those lines. That's at the table action there. Um, if we were using um, Roll Twenty across the interwebs, as Sean and I are doing now, when Sean's running his Five uh, E game. That's cool. You can do whispers and messages that way, and I don't have a problem with that because you don't have the opportunity to, you know, wave a piece of paper at the at the uh, monitor, as it were. But in the game, if we're all at the table, I don't like sending text because it gets distracting. That's how I see it. Sean, what do you think? Uh, you know, I had a friend that wanted to try something like that. He wanted to have, uh, I think, he wanted everybody to have computer terminals in front of them and be really? able. Well, he wanted to see if. I don't know if it was it would be an immersive kind of concept that he was shooting for, but I think he was trying, you know, he's thinking, well, if I gave everybody a computer terminal and I could message everybody and tell everybody what was going on and I don't know, but stripped down, nothing else, just kind of like this, you know, it, it would almost be as if you were playing Roll20 face-to-face, 
which kind of defeats the purpose, but I don't know. My take, um, yeah, I think the problem would I'd run into is, are they just texting me? Or are they texting the world or surfing around on the phone? Yeah, and it's not, especially when I'm dealing with like my kids, I can be like, put your damn phone down, you know, because they're my kids. <laughs> I can I can do that. Damn or if I'm at the, uh, they're damn kids. I'm at the uh, gaming club for the high schoolers. And you say, guys, just put your phones down, please, unless it's your mom or something. Don't answer the phone. I don't want you guys texting. I need you to pay attention. And their kids like, okay, Mr. B, that's fine. I'll, I'll pay attention. You know, so they're cool. They're in the moment. Um, but as adults, it's harder because you've got people who are IT professionals or any other line of work, you know, sometimes. Or, you know, your wife is sick. Or she's like, hey, um, if I'm out gaming at my friend's house and Susan calls me and says, hey, sends me a text, AJ's really sick. I need you to come home because the plans have had to change because X, Y, or Z. You know, I, I get that. But what happens is that when you start messaging that way, then you start communicating often in that format. And I find texting back and forth is I go from looking at the game to my phone. Oh, what what I miss? What I miss? Oh, shit. Back to my phone. I got to answer this guy. Hold on a second. Just let, let, let me answer Sean. And it's, it's a pain in the ass. I don't like it. So that's my perspective. I think it's distracting. And it is too tempting, quite frankly, and I'm pretty sure I would fall <laughs> I would fall prey to the same temptation if I was just sitting there texting away like a madman during the game. That would probably not go over well. Well, there you have it. That's the official answer from Gaming and BS, Eric. Um, thanks for writing in. Write again. Keep listening. Most appreciated. Moving on to number two, Chris Nizak from Misdirected Mark Podcast. Give him a listen, him and Phil. He writes on episode 37, which was the one right before this one, actually. Right? 37 is before 38. Um, hang on, hang on. Let's carry the two. Yes, it is. Yeah. Math is not our strong suit. Well, and from those who have gamed with me for 20 plus years in my group, you know damn well that Brett and math do not go hand in hand. So it took me a bit there. I actually called my wife to have her double check my math, and I am good. So. And that's why Brett rolls with Amber. Diceless. <laughs> Diceless. <laughs> hey. Is six higher than four? Fuck it, I don't care. Hey. Go ahead. Anyway, read on. So we read talked on. in uh, episode 37. What did we talk about last week? Talking about building characters at the table as a group. Do you build them oh. ahead of the game session and all that good stuff? That's right. He Sean right. was really drunk and he's kind of hungover now, even from that time. So I have early onset Alzheimer's. Ask my wife, she'll vouch for me. Uh, so Chris writes, party dynamics are closer, and this is one of those times we can use story examples for this purpose. In fiction, you don't want to have two characters who fulfill the same role in the story. Chris spelled role wrong. In the story because they become superfluous. The right is better off... Um, what? The right is better off merging them together. I think he means the right way. Uh, the the right way to do it would be to the writer. Excuse me. The writer is better off merging them. Writer. Together. I think you dropped an R. This is what happens when you're texting all the time, right? Because if you're answering on your phone, you end up skipping. <laughs> yes. If you're if you're like me, you're like shit. I missed half a word, and but I think you'll get the message. Or so. autocorrect comes in, and you're like, what? Oh my god, yeah. All right. The writer is better oh. off merging them together. So in TTRPG, what is TTRPG? Tabletop role-playing Tabletop. God, these acronyms are killing me. TTRP. I know, right? I'm I'm hip and with it. Nobody would know what I'm talking about. (laughs) So in a TTRPG group, you don't want two characters who are fulfilling the same space as a character because when it comes to the creation of story during play, they'll be stepping on each other's toes. Now, when there's nothing wrong with having 
Now, there's nothing wrong with having two fighters or two clerics or two mages in the same group or even five bards, but if they're all exactly the same and don't have different motivations or ways they operate or beliefs, then they'll get in each other's way or be minimized during play. Absolutely. I mean, how it's that I don't agree. You don't agree? No, I don't agree. I don't I think any I think everybody's different. Weird. Well, what happened? Like I think this what he's big saying will is help that... melting pot of people that are just well, different. Shut the fuck Let's up. embrace <laughs> our differences. I get where he's coming from because a he's... buddy of mine, Chris, not this Chris, um, had for a while there he was not he was not enjoying the game very much, and he was just he was trying to struggle in figuring different things out. And then we got him back in the game, and we realized one of the things he was doing was this other Chris, not Mister Schneezek, again different Chris, totally. Um, he was making fighters, and because he liked fighters, he was having a good time with them. But every fighter was the same that he made, Wait and they were basically just rep- repetitive, not only in the, in and of themselves, but they weren't any different than the fighter standing next to him in the group as well. So wait a minute, his name is There's Chris. Nothing else to do. This guy, different, totally different. Chris. But he's a he's Chris. Is he a human guy? And he's a male. Yes, but he's different. Yes. So you could play it. Oh, 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 I see, ah, what you're oh. see where I'm going with this. Ding. Yeah. yeah. Ah. I get where, although. All right. Yeah. All right, fine. I get where Sneezak's coming from, though, because if you don't at least spend some time differentiating between the characters, two clerics um, who are basically just walking around, you know, first aid kits, boring. And they do get minimized sometimes. You go, oh, don't you have fireball? Oh, you don't have fireball like the other guy. Oh, how come you don't have this? And get some personality behind them. Help to um, make the character a real person. You do that, then having you know duplicates or triplicates is okay. But they've got to be. You know, you can't have five bards that all have the exact same backstory. One, no. that's not possible. But to make sure that happens, you have to spend the time to make the differentiating backstory. That's how I'm reading. That's fair. But if you disagree with Chris and, and what he's putting out there, don't come to us and comment on Chris. Go over to Misdirected Mark and tell him. I'm going I'm to stand by Chris on this one. I think if you did want to disagree with Chris, I will say you are wrong, sir or madam. And Chris is absolutely correct. With that, let's get it on to the next one. Otherwise, we'll never, never get done with this episode. <laughs> Chad Knight, episode 37, comments, I think that character generation should be done in groups. I find that collaboration of players make for a much greater enjoyment of the game. As it was said, there can be many characters of the same class as long as they have different goals. Going back to Chris's point, right? Exactly. See more proof that Mr. Sneezek is absolutely correct. Different reasons for being, let me back up, of the same class as long as they have different goals. Different reasons for being. One of my favorite examples of this is when I joined a group and I wanted to play a rogue. There was already a rogue in the party. I spoke with the DM and the other rogue, and they were a, a they were a sneaky, sneaky cut purse type rogue. I said I could make something else, but I also had another idea for a rogue that was not the stereotypical rogue. I wanted to make a specialist, a rogue who was more spy than thief. I mean, sure, I could steal, but usually I stole only what I was hired to steal by rival governments, rival landowners, and the like. I was actually highly regarded for my talents, and looked down upon the street rogue. I was a specialist, a spy, if you will. The two rogue types played great off each other, and we had a blast. So I'm always up for collaboration with creating characters. It truly makes the play a lot more robust, in my opinion. Good point. Yeah, I like it. And that's why I'm thinking, there you go. You just have different, you can play like three of the same class, just got different backstories. They're different people, man. 
Different yeah, people playing to, different characters, but they're yeah, but saying. you have to. Yeah, got to put the energy into it to make sure that it's different. Is where I'm coming from. If you yes. don't take the time to make sure that you're, um, this is where some of the uh, the newer. How do I want to do it? You know, <laughs> your first your first edition AD and D thief was you know fifth level thief is a fifth level thief in stat, you know skills and so on and so forth. Maybe some differentiation between magic items and uh, attributes, but you don't have in your newer versions. Of games or skill-based games and whatever, you have other ways that you can help, you yeah. know, tweak them. Get archetypes and archetypes and so forth. Yes, yes, uh, yes. Thanks for writing in, Chad. Um, good points. Well, well spoken. All right, Victor Wyatt, episode thirty-seven, still on the backgrounds and or not the backgrounds, but the collaboration or not on character generation. I am all for character generation as a group. E- up that first session making an adventuring spy supers group your character has your character have been together for a while your characters have been together for a while that needs re, that needs reflected in needs to be reflected in their builds does not simply does not this is part me not victor it does not imply balanced groups it does not imply that the group covers required roles it does mean that each character is in some way related to everyone else in the group whether they are old-time adventurers or they have a newbie in the group who is still trying to find their place i'm all for the oddball lopsided groups especially when those features come out as uh, from the history they are bringing to the first play session when building characters as a group, especially if I am the GM, but also when I'm not, I ask questions of the players while they are building. These questions are loaded. Why did you chuck the magic item you knew the wizard wanted as you fled the last adventure site? Why did you feel the need to defend the reputation of the fighter's sibling last time you were in town when the fighter refused to? How much of the group funds do you skim to support your gambling habit? I really try and encourage the players to talk with one another as they are doing the paperwork involved in making characters. I do similar when I'm a player. I ask other uh, other players questions about the hard places they have put me in in the past. I also ask them. I also ask them why their character last got upset, or any other emotion with mine. I ask them if they think my character would cause the same drama the next time that the chance came up. I grew tired of the group of lone characters a long time ago. I want characters related to one another somehow. I want characters who have NPC relatives, contacts, and rivals. I want the world to feel real, or at least like my character belongs to something bigger than my character. By the way, this is one of the two major reasons I don't like living world systems like the RPGA. The other reason is the MMO feel where I am doing quest A and someone at the table says this is the fifth time they have done quest A, four times with other characters, and now they're fifth. My brain just goes, uh, but my character is doing quest A and others have already done it. Why is my character even here? But that's another topic for maybe another episode. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's like that's the old organized play discussion, which I think we could bag on a different day. Yeah, totally. <clears throat> I do, I do like this. The, Victor's points are, are pretty solid, and I think he's doing what you know. Without, I have not played Dungeon World. I've only read it a couple times, but it feels like those those bond questions you're supposed to ask back and forth, and so on, and um. Again, you don't need a mechanic, as we've talked about before on the show, is I don't necessarily need a mechanic to enforce bonding between characters. As Victor's doing, he as a player can ask those questions of other players and get that feedback. You know, if the game master isn't taking it on him or herself to start that conversation, there's no reason that you as a player 
can't take the initiative and start that line of questioning. Yes, but mechanics help facilitate that. Without the mechanics, some players don't do that. And so if you have a mechanic and you go, I have a bond, and it's actually uh, reward-based, which is what happens in Dungeon World, because when you fulfill a bond, you get an XP point. Just because it facilitates it doesn't mean it's required for good gameplay or to fulfill a need. It isn't, but that's not all players are as good as your group, Brett. I know. It just hurts me inside. That's no, I'm kidding. What I'm saying. I, I, you guys I are exceptions, I think, to the rule. No, no, I, I get it. But what I'm saying is that the cool piece is you get a guy like Victor who is doing it without it. Yes. So the point is, you read Dungeon World, you go, this is great. I really like this Bonds concept. Yeah. My group doesn't want to do anything but play Pathfinder, or they don't want to do anything but play GURPS or something. And that system, that mechanic doesn't exist in the game that my group wants to play. You can still take the mechanic that you like or the spirit of said mechanic and drag it to whatever game you're doing to fulfill that background, that connection need as Victor is doing here. That's I'm perhaps we're putting words in your mouth here, Victor. I apologize if I'm off target there, but I think taking that mechanic, it travels, man. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I totally yeah. agree with you, but I think that there's majority of game errors that may fall short of getting into that. Five E's got that. And it's not a mechanic. It's part of their background. It'll be like a question of a box. Yep. Shit, where's my damn character sheet? It's like... Gotta, no, I know. I've got, yeah, I've got it in front of here. Yeah, no, it's got a little piece that says, yeah. you know, personality traits, ideals, um, yeah, bonds, there, flaws. Yeah, there you go. It's not a mechanic, but it's there. Yep. Even if it's just and, a box. Yep, absolutely. But if it's one of those things that you're like, hey, I like what Victor did there. I Sure, I don't have the dungeon world thing. I, I like, kind of like the concept of the mechanic. Oh, but my game doesn't have that. I don't fucking care. Drag it with you to the next time you get together to make characters. There's no reason you can't do that. And other players may be like, well, it doesn't really matter in this game. Okay. The discussion then is as you're building characters. I like it, though, because it really helps my character feel more alive to me and the other points that Victor called out. Then that'll help you have a good back and forth and some expectation settings with the game master and the other players. I think it's a good discussion. Brett is trying to argue with me while agreeing with me. Ask my wife about that. Apparently, I do that a lot. <laughs> do you really? She calls yes. you out on that? Oh, constantly. Like, I think we're agreeing. Why are you arguing? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not arguing with you. Why do you think I'm arguing? Then it goes, it gets worse. <laughs> yes, I know I'm arguing. What's your point? What? <laughs> yeah. All right, moving on. Thanks, Victor. Kevin. That, that's a flaw on my character sheet, by the way. Kevin, arguing for no point. Kevin Lovecraft, episode 37, continues. On character creation, I think either method works depending on game system and the experience the players have with each other and the GM. That's a good point, too. When I'm gaming with WGG. That's my group, Wasa Gaming Group. I figured he'd pinch that. I'm perfectly fine with independent character creation. We either work out connections when we first start playing or in the G Plus community set up for the campaign, perhaps with a bit of retcon if needed, or we're truly independent characters first being brought together by the forces of fate driving the story. We usually have a pretty good idea of what sort of characters are called for in the story that we'll be playing over the next several months, so there usually isn't a whole lot of need for give and take between players, and since PvP activity can also happen under some game systems anyway, I'm looking at you, WOD and NWOD. World of Darkness and New World of Darkness. That usually isn't a big concern. Other game systems straight up require you to be together in some manner for that initial character creation. Uh, examples include Apocalypse World engine-based games where creating those connections between characters are part of part and parcel of the system, which is Dungeon World. 
I found that I really enjoy those mechanics and they're especially good for creating that mesh of relationships and experience between the characters so the players have a solid understanding of how their characters react and interact with each other. I loved how all of these ones on episode 37 basically all complimented each other as we read through them and by the end of it, it all summed it up going, yeah, yeah, yep. I, I agree. I yeah. agree with all y'all. That's a good, good job. Yeah. Good job, boys. Yeah. Well stated. So, all right, let's hit the sponsor. Michael Aldhauser, a friend of the show and sponsor, is the gamer behind the awesome dice bags available at grayedout.etsy.com. Yeah, I've got four of these awesome bags. These are stand-up bags, dual drawstring, tough as nails. He can do custom work. He's got a ton of things in his shop, custom colors, you name it, he can pull it off for you. Be sure to mention Gaming NBS for a 10% discount when you place your order at the website grayedout, that's G-R-E-Y-E-D-O-U-T dot Etsy dot com. That is not the source clashing. (laughs) What do you mean we're done? I can't read. (laughs) I'm not going to edit that crap out. We don't, look, we don't edit here, okay? We don't, again, you guys need to start paying us and then we'll start upping the quality of the show. Exactly. Rolling is yeah, nice. You get what you pay for. Exactly. As my old man used to say, what do you want for nothing? Your money back. Shit. Want a refund? <laughs> All right, Brett. Topic of the topic o discussion. All right. Well, last time Sean caught me flat footed and he said, What's the topic? I went, Oh, he was flat footed, so I got an attack on him and smashed his totally face did. with a sneak I'm attack. All the bruise on my cheek here. This one's been in my head for a while, and I want to talk about the OSR, the old school renaissance. Sean and I have had a number of different conversations about what it means to us, and Sean put it out there on uh, Google Plus on the uh, Gaming and BS Google Plus page itself, just saying, hey, what, what do you guys, do? does anybody want to take a crack at what they see? We weren't, I'm not looking to, at least there, we weren't <laughs> looking to start a flame war or no. some god-awful debate. So we had some folks chime in there. Sean, do you have those up? Do we want to yeah. just kind of buzz through those? Yeah, let's let's just comment on them. If I if shit, and of course I don't have them up in front of me right this freaking second because I can't find my browser. Where's my browser? Thank God I'm do here. You, do you have okay, it so I've got them. You can send me the link me. too if you want. No, that's fine. I got it. You gonna read I them got, all? I'll carry you there. All right. <clears throat> so we asked. You know what does it mean? <clears throat> we had two different folks jump in. Roger uh, Braslett and Victor Wyatt came in. To our uh, to help us out here, so Roger says OSR to me means the resurgence of the popularity or prevalence in discussion of the older editions of the game, usually meaning D and D. Mostly OSR seems to be people looking to regain some more simplicity perceived in older versions versus newer versions, or relive the fun that they parenthesis we on Perrin uh, had playing old editions of the game. I see that you know I do. Let's, the, re- let's um, read them both, and then we'll go into our okay. tirade. Gotcha. Victor Wyatt, in some cases, it's bringing back games from our past to play again. In other cases, it's using the design lessons of the years to build games that harken back to those older games. In both cases, it's a matter of finding the games you like to play, even if they are long out of print or through building new games to recapture the feel of those older games. At least, for me, that's what I love seeing with all the OSR creativity going on at the moment. Okay, so, Good stuff. So thanks, Roger and Victor, for commenting. And then what you're right, Brett. I, my whole point of that was not to. I actually commented on uh, uh, on another. So Zach Smith, if you haven't, if you don't know Zach, he can be kind of 
He's Zach. So yeah, he's Zach. I mean, it's, it's, if you don't yeah. know who I'm talking about, he's on Google Plus. So you either you're either okay with him or you probably hate him. And he had a comment out there that said, "Ask me anything." So I said, "Okay, tell me what the OSR is." And then he says, "Well, it depends on who is asking." I'm asking. So then I said, <laughs> "Okay, a player that doesn't know anything about what the OSR means." Um, and his comment was really short. As a matter of fact, um, I don't know if I can actually find his response quick enough. It was very... Uh, paraphrase, paraphrase. What do you got? Like, here, OSR, Sean. I mean, I'm hoping my comment will actually be searchable. Uh, and of course, it is not. But anyways, it had something to do with like just having fun with some of the older games, I believe. And I hate to paraphrase when I ask somebody a question... I think it's I think it's Zach S. I don't think it's Well while you're digging there, let me ramble for a bit here. <clears throat> so the one thing that um my buddy Lenny is like OSR is just fucking wankery. It's just I mean uh, I'm gonna parap- paraphrase oh, Lenny there and he'll, he'll call me out if I'm way off. But basically, you know the concept of these retro clones or the improved versions, I think Victor has his statement of using the design lessons of year of the years to build games that harken back to those, to those older games. That is the only reason to me. I mean, when I see people ha- putting out yet another version, this is just like Moldave's basic D and D except it's with blah, whether that be some funky, a single six sider does everything or it's what, I don't know, whatever. There's a ton of different variations on the red box theme or, um, the Moldave basic D and D or white box or whatever it is. And, Again, I think kind of as Roger pointed out, usually meaning D and D. But when you're hearkening back to a thing, what stops me from buying that new OSR retro clone or the slightly improved version is if I really want to play Metzner's Redbox or Moldave's version, I have it. I'll just go buy that if I wanted to. I mean, a lot of the stuff is uh, Wizard, Wizards of the Coast has a lot of this stuff out for, you can buy PDFs now, or you can find them on eBay and other places. They're not that expensive. It's like, <laughs> it's kind of like back to the dead games thing. If I really want to play an OSR game, I can go buy the damn thing. I can go buy Top Secret, the original, or, or Top Secret SI, or James Bond 007. I can get those. I don't necessarily need to get a hold of a sexy new retro clone of Top Secret, I have it, or I can go get it. I don't necessarily, at least from from my perspective, I don't have a need to go spend money on something that is similar to a thing I used to love. If I want to play the thing I used to love, say first edition AD&D, I have first edition AD&D, I'll pull it out and I'll play it. The only reason I got the Osric book, I paid for well, Osric is free. I mean, you can get the PDF for nothing. It's a re- organization of the first edition AD&D books. There's really nothing new in it. It just reorganizes the data so it's an easier read. It's easier to digest and find stuff in it. It's a great reference companion. That's the whole old school index reference companion, Osric. That's the whole point. Um, that, at least that, that's what the acronym of the name means. So I don't have a need personally to get all hip and cool on these retro clones because that just doesn't mean anything to me. It's all about, so from, it's all about hip and cool, man. Hip and cool, yeah, totally. So I found Zach's comment. So I asked him. And I'm nothing if I'm not hip and cool. I'll just throw that out there. If someone asked you, Zach, I hear about this OSR, but I don't know what it is. Can you tell me? He responds, it would depend what they already knew 
about RPGs. Okay, so that's valid. So I said, say they have played RPGs, new and old, but aren't sure what this OSR talk is all about. Yeah, see, I'm putting the, putting the screws to them. It's new material by people who find the old games more inspiring than the new games. Huh? Okay. Which I thought was a pretty simple. To me, when I think OSR, the thing that hits me is it's rulings versus rules. Oh, boy. You know, that, that's, where it, that's what it says to me. If I pull out my um, Matthew Finch and uh, Mythmere games, put out a quick primer for uh, old school gaming. Rulings, not rules. And the other component of it is player skill, not character abilities. If you look at the old uh, AD&D stuff, the character sheet, there's no skills. There's no, I mean, the thief has very specific thiefy stuff he can do. The ranger can do rangery things. But, other, you know, how do you want to check if there's a pit trap? If you don't, you know, I, I pour water on the floor and see if it leaks down the dungeon floor. I want to see if there's a slope to it. So I carry a bag of marbles and I roll one across the floor to see if it goes. I have a 10-foot pole. The reason you have a fucking 10-foot pole is so you can do role-playing discussy stuff instead of saying, I make a skill check. I do a spot. Do I find anything? And that was one of the things that Sean and I, when we first started talking about potentially doing this podcast, Sean got sick of guys doing the write on a sheet of paper, I gray hawk it, hold up a sheet of paper in <laughs> front of the group. Doc, I don't know if he listens to the show. You know, have Doc pull hold of a sheet of paper that says, I gray hawk it. Yeah. I mean, no shit, he did this. I literally, yeah, my buddy Doc, that's what he, he wrote on the back of a huge eight and a half by 11 notepad gr- with the gray hawk it. <laughs> the purpose being that I don't want to waste my time describing to you, Sean, how I look underneath every nook and cranny in the fucking room right i roll my how many spot checks do i have to roll what's my dc fine move on speed kind of this concept of i want to speed through i want to speed through the quote-unquote boring bits and uh brett's brett's opinion then is that when i'm doing that i'm speeding through the boring bits so i can get to the next fight when people seem to be doing that they want to go from i want to get past this thing and get to the fight when we're talking about D retro clones type of thing if you're simplifying and you, or excuse me you want to take what might be a half hour or 15 minute discussion um, of what you're exactly doing or how you're talking to somebody and simplifying it down to a simple skill check. I just want to get past this thing because it's boring to me. And maybe that's an over oversimplification. But again, it's rulings versus rules. In the newer system, you know, you have a rule that says go do a thing. And perhaps that's more. Pathfinder 30354E type of discussion when we're talking D&D um, instead of even 5E is is softer in those regards it doesn't have quite the same hard and fast well there's some of the rule checks. I've read a couple blogs where somebody's like hey maybe maybe 5E is the death of OSR <gasps> How can you kill us? How can you kill us? It sense. wasn't the death of OSR, but it's 5E OSR. Now, the funny thing is, is people go bananas about that. Well, I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah. This it is absolutely is OSR. It's not OSR enough. It was made too soon. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. So, uh, OSR. I kind of get it, but I don't, you know, it's, I don't know why we have this overwhelming need to categorize everything yeah <laughs> like even think, even music or i mean 
you can get into tons of wankery with music. Well, that's a that's a techno techno retro uh, dubstep with uh, some jazz or whatever the hell they. I don't hey, Brad, know. Is that death metal? I would look at you and go, yeah. dude, that is Viking death metal. Oh, and you're like, there's right. a fucking difference. And I'm like, yeah, there's a difference. Yeah, right. like, what? Yeah, oh, they're serious. Oh, then there's Swedish Viking death metal. Right. Really? Yeah, yeah, there is. What? <laughs> Contemporary. Yeah. So the uh. thing to me is that the games. So I'm going to pick on Dungeon Crawl Classics. The, the reason I'm going to pick on them is because one of the things that Dungeon Crawl Classics does for me is that it is an OSR type of game. It, I mean, it talks <clears throat> OSR language throughout. It says, hey, rulings, not rules. Blah, blah, blah. Appendix N. It's very Appendix N. Very Appendix N. Yes. Well, maybe then relevance to people know what Appendix N is. Appendix N is the uh, list of stuff that Gary Gygax put in the first Dungeon Master's Guide saying, hey, here's some additional reading for you to really understand where I got all my ideas from. Influences. Things that influenced or inspired. Right. Right. So the cool thing to me, when I read Dungeon Crawl Classics, is I see this and I go, this is... um, uh, uh, barrier peaks. This is that wacky, kind of crazy out there, insanity, weird. I, I am adventuring through a forest. I find a statue that had that seems um, seems quasi mechanical clockwork. It's actually an android. I come through here and there's a sixteen headed demon that's from another planet. Yeah, it's some of those aspects of it. They they found a niche within that old school space and said, you know what? This is a piece, um, almost like that Michael Morcocky and going from world to world and so on. Uh, I, I felt I feel like AD and D did that to a point, but they take it to a degree following that appendix and um, concept and just take it a little bit further. Say, look, we're going to go in this direction, and that's where we're at. And they've got some pretty good serious. It's not bad. And, I like and, it. And not they, all not all their stuff is not all their stuff is like that. No, but it's got it has enough. In it, I mean, you read how they work with their their gods and their magic, and the fact that you've got spellburn, yeah. and you can take a mage and go all wonky, crazy. We end up this horrible, disfigured thing yeah. that's half lizard or something. That's wonky. You know, it's just it's nth degree in some of those in some of the spaces. So it's an OSR game that takes a component of what I remember as a kid and focus and says a bunch of us. Really thought that piece of old school gaming was fun. We like to do that part of the RPG. I'm going to take a game and do that. It has enough of that in it and other stuff that that's kind of one of the focus pieces. And perhaps I'm I'm not I mean I'm not a hardcore DCC person. And other guys out there, men and women, probably of course know this a hell of a lot better than I do. But it really took the appendix in and said, "This is where we're going to go. We're not going to stray from this. This is what we've got." It's the we're best. Gonna- it's the best OSR game out there. Really? Yeah. So boldly. Yeah, that's what I say, right? Oh my I God. mean, why wouldn't you? It's I a good game. I keep my. I gotta mute my stuff. Please don't text me, wife. It comes through on our show. Anyways. So you're in trouble. Oh yeah. Yeah. So. See, see, this is what happens when you text at the fucking table. Oh, I know, right? People exactly. This is exactly exactly son what I'm talking about. Son of a gun. So you see Eric Bonds, this is exactly why I don't want fucking people texting at my goddamn table. Right. <laughs> Hold on, Brett. I gotta read this. <laughs> Stop it. God damn it. So Pits and Perils, there are a number of other OSR games that are out there. And the cool part about 
some of the OSR games that they're incredibly cheap from just an outlaying perspective. A lot of them are PDF only. You can get a hold of them for that. Now, DCC is not cheap. It's a thick, it's a big goddamn book, hardcover, you know, lots of cool illustrations, a lot of fun. But I, it, I honestly, you know, I might have to agree with you that the ones I have seen, DCC really took the spirit of that, hey, this is a thing we remember that was a lot of fun and went forth and built a updated version or a more, more focused version of that old school type of gaming. So again, though, I could say, well, I don't need that. I could just go play my first edition AD&D stuff. But it's there's enough different in um, the, the do. There's enough different in Dungeon Crawl Classics that I would say, no, this is DCC. If nothing else, it's got the wonky dice and some funky hit charts and other things. It's different enough from first edition AD&D that I don't see it as a retro clone. I see it as definitely an evolution of a concept from that original game. And that, okay. that strikes me as interesting. Okay, okay. I could see that. Brett, I will agree with you today. On that. Yay! Yeah. I like that part. All right, there you go. <laughs> Jeez. No. So what's interesting, though, to me is the number of people that... I mean, you, you can have a crazy edition wars anywhere. But the interesting... And I am not. don't even want to talk about edition wars. Like, the interesting thing to me is the number of people who really, really love it and are creating some incredibly cool stuff. And so, again, if you're a game master or player and, and who's been doing this for a while, and you reach out there and you can pick up stuff from uh, Pits and Perils or Dungeon Crawl Classics or any number of the different, <coughs> excuse me, oh, retro clones or some variation on those, even stuff that you know Venger puts out um, on, in his in his stuff. You can take that and you can say, yeah, I, I like this piece. I'm going to put this into my Pathfinder game. I'm going to take it. I'm going to use it with my first dead game. I'm going to take it, use it with my basic role playing. Whatever you can mod or hack anything you want, but the concepts in it are really kind of cool. Even um, what's the other one? The um, there's Swordsman of Hyperborea. There's the one that uh, Red and Pleasant Land. That's a Zach Smith it's setting. Zach's. I can't remember what that what game system that is for offhand. Shit. L- the Lamentations of Lamentations the- of the Flame Princess. Yes. Well, there's to tons me, of swords not- and sorcery. There's Labyrinth Lord. There's yep. Uh, Torchbearer, there's a bunch of them. The good ones, what I've read about Torchbearer and what I have seen about Torchbearer in what little very quick reading I've done is it's different enough. It takes – it's kind of – how do I want to do this? It takes – like I said, it's an evolution of the thing. I don't see it as a retro clone. I see it as an evolution of that first version into something that is new enough. It really does do what Victor talks about and takes the – the rules lessons or the design lessons and says, hey, look, I'm going to take it in this direction. And <clears throat> frankly, some of the OSR stuff I've seen, like, hey, this is, it's a retro clone of Moldavay's D&D, and we use 12-siders. I'm like, who fucking care? Really? That's that's your big thing, right? It's the same goddamn game. I already have that. Moldavay's D&D and Redbox by Metzner is not that goddamn complicated. I don't need someone to simplify that further for me by hacking out dice or making a more streamlined whatever. It's not that bloody complicated. I don't. I, again, if I want to play that, I'll just play it. If I want to play a different incarnation of that game, right, which is kind of first edition versus second versus third, fourth, and fifth, <clears throat> and Pathfinder, they're all variations on that, on that theme. It's kind of, um, to, 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 for me, if I want to play, 
how do I, no, this is this isn't a good idea. This isn't a good comparison. So I'm going to drop it there. I'm not going to take it where I was going to go because no. it was a horrible comparison. I'm not hey, doing it. I'm not doing it. Hey, you can't and, make me. and just realizing that, good for you, man. Thanks. Good on you. <laughs> good on me. So, Sean, if I, um, do you have a preference? Is there some? If someone said, "Hey, you know, I really like to play," even if I take out, you know, game systems themselves and break it down to a style, the rulings versus rules, is that something? Is that your preference? as a player and or a game master, you know, if I said, look, you know, I'm sorry, the rule says no, so therefore no. Or are you like, look, the spirit of the system is X, so therefore I can. Or do you have a way that you like to roll in that aspect or respect, I should say? No. No? <laughs> that, was a long, that was a long pause for a single word comment. That was great. I do appreciate the... I appreciate the rules rulings over rules and uh i do like kind of the old schoolish mentality when it comes to gaming to the point of um doing some things i don't see i kind of have a problem because i don't think i facilitate it very well as a player or game master um, and I don't know what that looks like sometimes. I mean, I know what it looks like, but I don't, I know it's kind of like, well, you just kind of show up and you do your thing and it's the same way you've always kind of done it. So that's the way it is, even though it's not bad or good. So I think there's a method of play that maybe I prefer. I just don't, I don't know. Maybe it's the groups I'm playing with and that's not a knock on any of anybody specifically. Cause most of that's me too. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. I can tell. I can tell. What's well, I mean? <laughs> we didn't call it, you know gaming hey. and and logic. We call it BS. <laughs> gaming and BS because that's what we do. <laughs> um, I am. I got to say, I'm more of a. If I have to pick rulings versus rules in that old in the old school space, I'm a rulings guy, even as a player or and especially as a game master. I look at what makes the most sense given the situation because <clears throat> I can't have one of the complaints I've seen from some of the old school hardcore folks is they'll give me the well and they go to Pathfinder or fourth or any of those very crunchy games, which is funny because they never go after another crunchy game system like, um, like a burning wheel, which I understand is incredibly crunchy in yeah. some of those. And <clears throat> so, but they always go after, <clears throat> of course the, the biggest, you know, the biggest elephant in the room, they go after Pathfinder or D and D. Well, they want to have a rule for everything. They don't want to talk. They want to streamline play. They want to do this. It doesn't actually streamline. It actually makes it more complicated. Okay, I get it. You don't want to roll a spot check. You don't want to roll a hide, or excuse me, you don't want to roll a find hidden. What you want to do is explain to the game master that, okay, I'm in an ancient library. I want to go through the books in the shelf on the left-hand side, top to bottom, looking for ones that may have been pulled out recently. I want to check for dust patterns. I'm going to reach underneath the table with a dagger, kind of scraping around there, take my 10-foot pole, tap the tap the um, large uh, tapestries hanging on the wall to make sure it's not freaking yellow mold or some brown nastiness that's going to leap on me or green slime hiding. Um, some people don't want to do that. They just want to roll the die. And that's kind of where I get – when I hear people that are like, no, that's bullshit. It's a way, When I hear that type of descriptive play – when I've heard some people say that's a waste of time, I want I want that stuff to go faster. Is I always hear the unspoken of that's boring. I want to get on to the next fight because they want action. They want something that happens. So they want the dice to facilitate making the new cool thing happen faster. 
And I guess that's okay. But as a guy with a bunch of folks that I game with, <coughs> excuse me, who really like role playing and getting into character and talking in character and discussing different ways to do things, even when we've had a system that said, look, just make a spot check and you can find it, they say, well, I'm going to do this, this, and this because I really, I really got to make sure I nail the spot check, Brett. So I want to do these things to try to give me an edge in that spot check. Or you know what, Brett? I don't think I'm going to have an edge in spot check because we're doing this, that, and the other thing. I'm pretty distracted from that last fight. I don't know. What do you think? I'm like, yeah, minus five and roll. Yep, that makes sense to me. And off they go. So the group, my group and other folks I played with, even when I played with a, a group back a, a couple of jobs ago, the die rolling didn't speed anything else up for us. And perhaps it was because we're a bunch of older guys that all grew up playing the old school games back in the day. But we were all looking for ways to narr- add the narrative. The action began and ended with the narrative, much like a uh, Apocalypse World type of thing. The die rolls just helped us redefine or better define what the action looked like at the end of it. So anyway, a bit of a ramble there, but I don't necessarily see anything the way I play because of my rulings versus rules. I don't – There's no. it's not faster to uh, to have a bunch of very specific rules about how everything should occur, it doesn't speed up play for me at all. Sean, do you see it? Do you, does that go faster for you, or does that bog you down, or well, do you not even notice? I think you can do some hand waving. I don't know. It depends on how how deep you want to get into the nuances. I don't know if it's always necessary. Um, it depends on the game you're playing. I guess it depends also on. Um, it also depends on the group, right? If they, they're like, let's move ahead. I don't know. Uh, it's hard. I don't know. So the other piece that goes with the OSR to me is everyone says it's simpler, it's simpler, it's simpler. One of the things, and Sean, you and I have both talked about this before as well, is when it comes to like monsters. Like in the, um, you would read a monster entry and it said, look, this is what it does. Oh, roll a one to six on a one to two, it, it follows you whole. Okay. I mean, there was no every every time you did that, this monster had its own sub rule, if you will, where necessary. It didn't have a it makes a plus two grapple check, or it does a unarmed, it does a touch attack at range, or whatever it was. It never hearkened to that. You didn't have to remember anything other than what was in, excuse me, what was in the actual monster manual entry, where it said, "Hey, this monster on a roll of seventeen or higher to hit." grabs you and tears you in half. Okay, shit, that's just what it does. It fucking says already in the monster entry. So the cool part for me is seeing all the really fun, very creative OSR stuff that that gets cranked out on a regular basis. It's all self-contained. And I can take that and go, okay, I can just roll that into whatever system I want because it's not that hard to either rule it up as far as adding rule complexity to a Pathfinder or even uh, something like 5e that's a little more modern or to keep it that simple and use it in a first ed day D&D or real basic D&D or anything like that. It's not that hard. It's, it's, just, it's cool because things are very self-contained when it comes to monsters, at least in my opinion. Yeah, it scales pretty good. I mean, you could go, yeah, absolutely. There's not a, I mean, I don't know, man. There, so, some of the OSR games or the retro clones, as they are sometimes referred to as, mm-hmm. um, they try to make sense of some of the stuff that didn't make sense. Not okay. all, not all, but I mean, ah, like I said, I love going through the first edition AD and D player's handbook and I go, man, I can't believe I played this freaking game. 
<laughs> Which is why like Osric was so cool because it re it re it organized it into plain English, you know, well, they, A through Z. You know, so that was handy. It organized it, but you still have this wacky AC system that makes so ungodly sense to me. Well just follow the chart. <laughs> Freaking chart. Which is interesting because to you know, again to Wyatt's point, was you some OSR games Mr. Uh, Mr. Wyatt to you. Mr. Wyatt sorry, Mr. Wyatt. Um, some OSR games that I have seen, and I should have a fucking list in front of me, and I do not. But they will use the the positive armor class, right? You know, twenty is better than negative twenty. You know, ten ten is your base, and you go up for for harder and down for easier to hit. They have an as- um, they, ascending or descending. Ascending or descending. Yes. Thank you, yeah. Jesus Christ. There, I knew I brought you for a reason today. Thank you. Uh-huh. Um, well, they'll use again. You know, some of the lessons learned. And take that stuff and then put it back on top of the simpler Moldavade D&D or Metzner D&D just to improve on an aspect of it, which is, I think, where you were going. Yes. Take, take a piece of it that was kind of sucky and get rid of it. Weapon speed and, and combat segments from First Ed. Fucking throw that shit out and don't worry about it. That's why I think 5e is, is pretty damn good because it's all based off of your ability score modifier. Yeah, it's so, not like it. It's, it's fast and simple. Yeah. I think that's the other piece of it is from the simple often equates to faster play when it comes to combat. I know, so they, the counter to the, I want to hurry up and get past this stupid searching the room bullshit so I can get to the next exciting fight, is that in a, we've talked about this before, in a hardcore, very crunchy edition, and again, Sean has you know, caveated this many times. I mean, we, when we talk OSR, it's a lot of D&D stuff here. So clearly, if you, if you hate D&D, I apologize if you've stuck around this long. But if you hate D&D, you probably aren't listening to Sean anyway. But the point is, is that when you get to some of those combats with your very crunchy Pathfinder, and I've heard 4E can be pretty brutal as well, big combats, very powerful things, 15th level, 20th level, 10th level, 5 10th level guys all fighting a vampire and his minions, it, it could take a day. I read one post where a guy played, they played, he clocked it. It was like 12 hours of real time spread over two different days for one fight. Well, yeah. And I'm like, holy you, fucker that's, balls. That's man. what I do when I start out with that 200 hit points and they're starting to put the big kibosh down. I give the, I give the monster another 200. Just to, just to fuck with him. It's just like, drag it out, man. We, we've been hammering on this guy for three hours. Oh, he's almost there. You got him like hey. halfway. Yeah, good luck with that, pal. <laughs> <laughs> We've done like a 1,500 points of damage. Yep, about halfway. He's bleeding. Another 1,500, and it's only he's, been three hours. He's looking kind of wounded. <laughs> he, he glares at you askance from across the room. What? <laughs> That's it? But I the, think he um, felt your last blow. One of the cool pieces at the tail end of the Osric book, and you read it, they're like, look, you can run really fast combat. You can run really fast, large combats, which you can do with some of the OSR-like components because the game the combat rolls faster yes it does take longer to describe certain pieces but because there's rulings and not rules there's not as much sitting down and crunching through in the heat of a combat scenario when i tell sean hey i want to jump off this boulder and you know try to catch a giant and hamstring him as he runs by i want to do something to you know topple him or slow him down a little bit my, my point is i want to hit him in the back and slow him down. So my fighter leaps off this boulder and slashes at the frost giant's knees. And Sean be like, you know what? Give me a roll. If you do, if you uh, roll to hit him, great. And then roll again and give me a, 
paralyzation save to see if you pull it off. Okay, fine, fuck it, whatever. Boom, that was the spirit of the moment. Bam, I did it. Yay. Sean describes what happens. So again, narrative, narrative, narrative. But it's, I think that's faster than having to do some of the rules lookups and some of the other things that you have to do with some of the more complicated feats and different components that go into the really crunchy editions of D&D, i.e. Pathfinder or 4E, that type of thing. Yeah. So I, I get where that's that's sexy and attractive too. Yeah. <coughs> so if you're an OSR advocate or poo-pooer, leave us, uh, send us an email or leave a comment in the show notes at gamingandbs forward slash 038. And as Sean said in the in our Google Plus post, you know, we're not looking to start a brawl. I'm just really yeah. curious as to what if you really like it, if you can boil it down, if something we said here resonated, said, dude, that's totally it, or resonates in the wrong way, say, dude, Brett, you and Sean are full of shit as usual, and here's why. <clears throat> because it's more than just rulings and rules, it's also this other thing. Great. I mean, I'd love to be better educated on it, but if nothing else, I I think <laughs> sometimes having a simplistic view of it might be the most reasonable thing because it's supposed to be simpler. Right. At least that's how I see it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, we don't want to get into a philosophical debate by any means. We just, what does the OSR mean to you? Absolutely. All right. Let's get into the die roll. Die roll, two to four miscellaneous points of gaming or geekery we want to share with you and bring to your attention. I've got four. Brett has two. <sighs> well, I had to carry your weight through this entire discussion, so I'll just I'll go real quick. <laughs> Sean, Sean's giving the go to, giving me the go to hell look. <laughs> I'll go fast here. So, Robin Laws has a new book out, uh, Drive Through RPG. I've got a link in the show notes. It's called Blowing Up the Movies. So, this is Robin's latest little uh, piece. There, this is uh, twenty four action movies explode. The purpose here is to. Uh, he's a huge cinema cinemaphile. If you listen to Ken and Robin, they both of them big movie guys. He puts his and Robin is this great analytical brain when it comes to design and and gaming and so forth. And he's talking about actions and thrills and so forth from these big supercharged movies and how to gamify that stuff, how to take that action and so forth from these different types of movies. He's talking Star Wars, Crouching Tiger, Hitting Dragon, Die Hard, Seven Samurai, The Killer, Detective D. Uh, all that type of good stuff. So check it out. And if nothing else, if you're into uh, uh, Feng Shui, his uh, his Hong Kong action thriller game, I bet you that's it's going to be a really good resource for that stuff. So take a look at it. The other one I have is a <coughs> Warhammer 40K and the military. Sean, being a former Army man, I thought you might find this interesting. Um, Army officer Major Stephen D. Carey has served tours of duty in Iraq and Afghanistan in his spare time. He's a 40K dude. Uh, a little article there talks about, you know, the Necrons, the Tyranids, the Tau, the Orcs, and all this stuff, and how it's it plays a part in he and some of the other um, military men and women that, he, that he's with, that he serves with. I'll tell you, some of the best gamers I've ever met are former military folks. You're um, welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of guys I've met that are uh, ex-military are also gamers, and probably because so probably because I'm a gamer, I end up traveling in gamer circles. But I've always been surprised and uh, asked them, "So why why'd you do that? What why, how'd you get into? Well, I, I got in when I was in the army, or I got in when I was a Marine Corps. I've heard that a bunch, and like yeah, it was just it was you know fun way to spend time with you know other other bunch of guys, and I wasn't out getting in bar fights and, getting, and doing other crazy shit, you know. It was, 
on a, you know at the apartment on barracks or doing something and killing dragons instead of beers. So all right, cool. But anyway, I thought those two articles, that article, excuse me, that article was pretty cool, and Robin's book sounded neat too. So sweet. Your turn, Sean. Lay it on me. Number one, ecosystem generator. So if you're looking for an ecosystem generator, it's not uh, very flashy, but it is a web site that um, I'll have a link in the show notes to the blog that posted it, along with the tables that I think helps generate it, and then a link to the actual app kind of app. It's just a website. So when you go to the link, it's a CGI script, which is just a script that runs and pulls data from that table so you're going to go there and go oh this is kind of cool but there's not going to be any button or anything if you do refresh it will give you a whole new set of data for it's a random web page generator from yep. that from that data backend database kind of yeah. cool yeah so check it out uh number two steampunk cthulhu has been nominated in the best of the independent ebook awards so congratulations to chaosium uh for that in Very case cool. you did not know that, that's a little news. And then number three, Bram Stoker Awards. If you're not familiar with that, Bram Stoker Awards are for, uh, I think they're held through horror.org forward slash awards forward slash stokers. Now, when you go to that page, it'll tell you what the horror awards are, or the Bram Stoker Awards are, but it really doesn't, it tells you about last year's like winners, I think. There's a link there. But Chaosium, again, strikes with uh, the award congratulations on their website and list. <laughs> the actual list of this year's May 9th, May 9th winners. It drives me crazy. I mean, I think Origins is kind of, this, I was telling Brad, I think Origins is like, hey, congratulations to all Origins award nominees. And then you go to Origins like website and it's a pain in the ass to find. And then you go to another website, and they're like, "Oh, there, bam, 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 bam." So I don't know, web webmasters, get your proverbial crap together. Um, yeah, that's right. I said it. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yep. So there you go, Bram Stoker Awards. Check those out um, for uh, horror writing. I think is what it deals with. And lastly, since we're on the topic of old school Renaissance, Brent Newhall, who I follow on Google Pluses. He actually wrote a book, which I actually purchased. Brett? Brett. Not to be mistaken for Brent. Yes. So Brent Newhall, Brett Gaming and BS. Um, He wrote a a ebook PDF, The Old School Renaissance Handbook, and he profiles 28 popular old school systems. So I, I read this. Um, like Brent, he's got a lot of stuff out there on RPG, uh, drive through RPG. This book, um, it does go through like the system and it's like, okay, well, this system uses this AC system and this system uses this AC system and this has skills and this one doesn't. So it's very kind of, um, you know, it's not going to give you a whole lot of meat and potatoes like, and this one was derived from this. And we checked, you know, we researched the author and this is what their mentality was. It's very, uh, straightforward. If you, if I shall say, if I shall say, I shall say, but, um, uh, you know, if you're interested to know about the different ones and what's out there and they, he does do a little write up of a paragraph for each game. Um, 
and I'm not sure what I was expecting. It's it's my expectations. I think that was kind of like so. It's not. I don't think it's good or bad necessarily. But if you want to know more about the different games, um, some will use an AC ascending. You know, so you roll a die, and if you get yep. over, you hit. And then there's some that aren't. Um, and then they kind of incorporate different types of rules to facilitate that. But I mean, just the fact that he looked at 28 of them is crazy. I've read it. I've, I got a hold of it as well. I read it. I think it's one of those pieces where I, I read it and went, damn, I, I wish he would have went further. I do too. A few places. But if nothing else, it was a good conversation starter for me to go, well, I've never heard of this system. What the hell about it? And then I could go find the webpage, dig into a little bit more. So not a bad, not a bad first look. Yeah, that's exact. That's you sum it up right there, Brett. Um, Brett, not Brent. Um, that I was hoping for more, I think. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and then of course, uh, kind of like, kind of like the, uh, Dungeons and Designers series, um, which is not part of die roll, but it's pretty cool. It goes through, that is really kind of more in depth about the history of gaming through the decades and who is in those and the relationships that were, um, founded in the games that were created and all that stuff, which is a, a huge read. Um, and it spans multiple books, I think four or five of them. Um, which is pretty good. And Red Hat, um, Red Hat, huh, that's the Linux. Evil Hat, uh, I think, published those. Yeah, Phil Vecchion was reading those. and um, I'm reading them it. too. I was going to say, but he read them first because he's cooler. No, but uh, uh, he would, he brought, brought them up a couple times on Misdirected Mark. And between his chatting about it and you talking about it to me today, I'm thinking I might have to grab me one of those. Yeah, I got the electronic version off the Kickstarter. I didn't get the printed books, which are pretty. I mean, they are pretty nice. They're mm-hmm. different colors, and they got nice illustrations and stuff. I think they're on drive through as well, so I mean, I can get PDFs, so. Yeah. All right, so that wraps up the episode. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of Gaming and BS. Again, if you want to write a review for us on iTunes or just pick a few stars, that'd be greatly appreciated. It does get us added exposure. Otherwise, you can reach out to us on Google, Twitter, Facebook, Google+, um, or go to our website and leave a comment. Absolutely. Uh, so we'll leave you uh, at this. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night. Good gaming, folks.